0: Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet, and both thirsts would be slaked. So if after Mass, I'm standing in the sacristy, if you were to come by and you were to greet me, what would you call me? Ah. <gasps> Were you not listening to the gospel? Call no one on earth your father. All right, how do we make sense of this? I just want to do a little quick apologetics with us real quick this morning, and then I want to talk about the first reading. But um, all throughout, one of, the, one of the classic rhetorical teaching and speaking devices that you see in the ancient world, especially in, in Judaism and in, in um, Hebraic literature, is this idea of, um, of hyperbole of hyperbole, right? Jesus using as a rhetorical example this extreme version to make a point, right? It's what he also uses when he says things like, if you pluck out, you know, if, if your right eye causes, your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you sin and pluck it out. It's, it's Semitic hyperbole is really what it is. It's a teaching rhetorical device. And it's, in fact, Jesus himself who throughout the Gospels will also refer to, like he'll say, referencing um Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus. In that parable that he himself gives, he refers to Abraham as Father Abraham, right? So is Jesus, like, not paying attention to his own teaching, or what's going on there, right? No, it's the whole idea that, all, like, recognize ultimately that fatherhood is derivative, earthly fatherhood is derivative from the authority of God the Father. That's what that's getting at. So you can call me Father, all right? All right. I want to look at this one line from the first reading. Where we hear this. If you are willing and obey, you shall eat the good things of the land. If you are willing and obey, you shall eat the good things of of the land. Okay, so certainly on one level, it's this idea that blessing, blessing comes from obeying the Lord. Obviously, we can see that, right? But there's a deeper level, and that's what I want to look at this morning, this deeper level. Have you ever noticed how... um, Food and drink seem to occupy a very significant place in the history of salvation, in the history of, like, God's dealings with humanity. The whole issue of eating and drinking is a very big issue, right? Going all the way back to Genesis 3, the the problem began with a bad meal, right? Eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The drama begins with bad food, and the drama is healed or redeemed or inverted, if you will, through another good meal. The the, the the problem is set right with the food of the Eucharist, right? Or think about the morning of the resurrection, right? Jesus, he has appeared to his apostles and then a few days later the apostles are fishing and Peter's out there and then Jesus is on the shore and John sees him, he dives in, all those things. So they all come to shore and the resurrected Jesus is Occupying himself with building a charcoal fire, and what's the thing he says? He says, "Come, have breakfast." I'm like, doesn't the resurrected Lord have anything better to do than make some baked fish? You know, but he's interested in feeding. It's clear he's interested in feeding. Look at the Old Testament, the Exodus that we're going to hear uh, in the readings this weekend for the third third Sunday of Lent. The Israelites are moving out of Egypt towards the promised land and they begin to grumble against God and against Moses looking back at Egypt thinking we had food there at least, right? We had water to drink and they're grumbling and so God in his great mercy gives them miraculous water to drink from the rock. He gives them miraculous food to eat, both flesh and bread, right? The quail that comes up every morning and the manna bread that comes up. So he feeds them. He feeds them. Or think of the Old Testament prophets. Think of Isaiah. His his messianic visions of what those days will be. What does he say? On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will provide for his people. What? A feast of juicy, rich foods and pure choice wines. What does Jesus do for his first miracle? He turns water into wine. He's feeding this great thirst. Or every human person, we come into the world... Our first cries are in some ways those hunger pangs. It's a hunger for the breast. It's a hunger to be fed. And as we age, of course, as we age, our deeper hungers begin to bubble up to the surface. Deeper hungers of the heart arise, right? Deeper longings. And what does the enemy say? The enemy comes into that space of our hunger and he says, you will not be satisfied. You will not be satisfied. You will not find any satisfaction. And so what happens? We become, spiritually speaking, like like babies who suck their thumbs, kids who suck their thumbs. We become spiritual thumbsuckers, really is what it is. And what is that? That's, or, you know, think of a pacifier, right? Uh, it's a, it gives the, the child, it gives the, in, the infant, like a semblance of satisfaction, like this feels like what I'm looking for but not the real thing. Right? Like, I, No matter how hard that baby sucks the thumb, no milk is coming out of that thumb. right? You're never going to get the actual satisfaction. You're never going to get the, the, the satisfaction. So spiritually speaking, we've taken our hungers and our thirsts for love, for affirmation to be seen. And notice what does Jesus say about the Pharisees? They do everything they do in order to be seen. Is the desire to be seen a bad desire. No, it's not. It's a beautiful desire. It's a holy desire. And the question is, though, it becomes problematic when we take it horizontally, strictly speaking, or exclusively. The desire to be seen must first and foremost be satisfied vertically So we take these desires in our hearts to be seen, to be loved, to be noticed, to all sorts of places, all sorts of people to get a semblance of satisfaction. These false lovers, these idols, these places, these habits that that whisper to us the false promise. They say to us, come to me and you'll find satisfaction. Come to me, I'm what you're looking for. Come to me, I'll fulfill you. And it's a false promise, it never does. And what is God saying? if you are willing and obey, if you are willing to undergo these painful purifications and, and the wrenching of your hearts away from the things that don't satisfy, because, because they give the semblance of satisfaction. But he's saying I, I, you, you need to be purified to be turned away from those things. If you are willing and if you, are, if you obey, the root of that word obey, it means to hear, obedire in Latin, obedire, to hear, to listen. Right? What did the Father say this past weekend on the mountaintop? This is my beloved Son, listen to Him. Which presupposes this posture of active receptivity, I want to hear you, I want to listen to you, open, I'm open, speak Lord. Listen to Him is what He's saying. He says, if you do this, if you are willing, if you obey, if you listen, if you hear, you shall eat the good things of the land. In other words, I will feed you. That place in you that you take the hunger to all these other places, I will feed you. Where? When? With what? How will you feed this, Lord? With the fruit of the earth turned into the fruit of Mary's womb. What what do we hear in that first reading? If you are willing, you obey, you shall eat the good things of the land. What do I say? Over the gifts of bread and wine as I'm beginning to offer them, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become what? The bread of life. The bread of life. Like, have you ever noticed... Have you ever noticed that we take the fruits of the earth and we place them on the altar, and God transforms them into the fruit of her womb. Right? Hail Mary, full of grace. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. Right? The fruits of the earth become the fruits of her womb. What is bread? We offer bread on the altar. What is bread? It's baked wheat flour which comes from crushed endosperm of the wheat plant. And it's cooked and it's baked and it's placed upon the altar. And then we ask, what is wine? Wine? It's the fermented juice that comes from the crushed ovary of the grapevine. That's what a grape is. Endosperm, crushed over. Like, you take the fertility of the earth, turn it into something more through our human ingenuity, through our human hands, place it upon the altar. The Holy Spirit's called down upon it and it becomes the fruit of her womb. It becomes Jesus. Why? So that the bridegroom can pour his love, can pour his mercy, can pour his life into our hearts, that hunger and that thirst to be fulfilled. Like this, is, this is just... The theology of the everyday mass. (laughs) This is what happens. And what do we sing? You satisfy the hungry heart with what? The gift of finest wheat. Right here. Right here. If you listen and obey, you will eat, literally eat, the fruit of the land which is the fruit of her womb. Amen.